The years leading up to and during menopause are a rite of passage. The wise woman inside of us is calling to slow down, to take stock, to speak our truth, to burn away all that no longer serves us, ready for our next cycle of life. The good news is with the support, community, connection, and most of all, sharing our stories and being truly seen and heard, we will travel through this powerful, sometimes painful, heroine's journey and out the other side. Welcome to the Menopause Podcast, real and raw stories of midlife and mental health. I'm your host, Kylie Patchett, menopause self-care coach and storyteller, and I am so glad you found us. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I have a treat for you today. This lovely lady is coming to us with a pseudonym, um, which she wrote her book under. So welcome, Patrice Diamato. I got it right. Yay. You did. Perfect. <laughs> welcome, Patrice. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you. So good. And we will explain why you are actually under a pseudonym. But would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So As you said, my name is Patrice Diamato. It is very close to my real name, um, being of Italian-American descent. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a nurse and have been a nurse for going on 39 years, I think. Um, Done a variety of things Mm -hmm. uh, in nursing, everything from hospitals and brain surgery patients to teaching in a university. I taught nursing. Um, and I had decided a couple of years ago um, to write a book about yeah. my experiences as a women's health nurse practitioner in abortion care. Mm. Um, and we could talk a little bit about why I chose to write, write about abortion care, um, but it certainly has become um, a topic of great confusion and misinformation, at least here in the United States, and I think um, around the world as well. Yeah. And we all watched. I I was interested. I didn't know at what point in time the book came out in relation to that Roe decision. Um, It was before, by the sound of it, because I think it was pending. Just before. Yeah, Yeah, it was just just breaking. They were uncertain about what would happen. Yeah, Yeah, I had no idea. Just the timing was yeah, you mentioned it the, right at yeah, the end of the book, and I was like, I reckon this has not just quite happened. Otherwise, of course, you would have. Yeah. Um, can I start with, I, I I, actually, I dived into your book. It's called A View from the Clinic. We should say that right out the front. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I think that I went in, and we were talking about this before we started recording, with this kind of preconceived notion that an abortion clinic um, would be mostly frequented by accidentally pregnant younger women who were seeking abortions. I'm very happy to say that your book does a brilliant job of challenging my very uneducated, uninformed stereotype. Um, But I wanted to start with this paragraph because I think you've captured kind of what a lot of people are going to be thinking is like, why would you choose to do that? So you're, you you ponder this question. You say in the book, how does a moderately liberal, cisgender, heterosexual white woman with a newly minted master's degree as a nurse practitioner decide it would be a good idea to teach her, ditch her nice hospital job as a staff educator to work in that dreaded cesspool of hell at the abortion clinic? Quite honestly, I shocked even myself. Like most providers, I'd referred patients or taken care of women who'd had an abortion, but it was a little unsavory to think about. 
I thought that was such a good introduction because I was just like, I was sitting down on a Saturday morning. I thought, I'll just read a couple of chapters of this. No, I ended up sitting on my lounge and just reading it from beginning to end because you you had me captured from the very beginning. Oh, good. And, and I think the way that you actually tell the stories, because I love I love people's stories. Like this is why I have a podcast. It's why I'm a copywriter, all of those things. You do such a good job of showing so many different facets or, or types, class, you know, all sorts of different patients that have come through the clinic. And you also do a fantastic job of kind of showing the personalities of some of the key kind of players in the clinic as well. But let's start with the beginning question. Why did you, how and why did you decide? Because you write the book, you kind of shocked yourself. You kind of did it and you were like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. I really didn't. Um, I love to write, but I had mm-hmm. never written that type of writing. I had done, you know, professional journals and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what actually happened is very funny. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's funny. So the Me Too movement, right? Yes. So I, I I started hearing more and more during the Me Too movement of people talking who had no freaking clue what they were talking about. And one day I listened to this this politician, a, a married older man who mm-hmm. is deciding um, who's I don't know. I was listening to something on television or something, yeah. and he was deciding that it would. Why on earth would we not tax women's sanitary products? He said they're a luxury. It's a luxury, and we should tax these. And the the interviewer said, "Wait, what? This is a luxury? How do you, you know? What's your thinking that you know women's tampons are a luxury?" And he said, "Well, it's just like going to the bathroom. You go in and you." you bleed out, you know, you push out that blood, you wipe yourself and go on. Why would you need these extra products? And really, you know how there's always just that one moment where you're like, wait, did I wait? No, I'm done. I'm done. Done. And I thought, okay, and you're a married man. So you don't even know what goes on in your own bathroom. And you're the one who's deciding that I'm going to have to pay extra taxes for these products based on your knowledge. Yeah. Lack thereof. Yes. <laughs> or lack thereof. But he said it with such authority. I think even the interviewer was just like, what? What? But and also, so- let's just pull to the surface. I'm sorry. Do you have a uterus? Do you I actually know, right? get an opinion about this? conversation and you could if you were oh, maybe if you were a gynecologist or at least an interested human being yes, true right That's true the absence you know of you can be not, informed yes. and yes. get the right i so something in me snapped and i said for the thousandth time nurses need to speak yes. we need to write we need to speak we need to tell people what we know we mm-hmm. have more street credibility than we realize nurses very much underplay themselves yeah oh you know or they're tired because mm-hmm. they're running around most are women in this country about mm-hmm. 80 
5% are women mm-hmm. who, you know, have kids and older family members that they're taking care of. They are yeah. caregivers by nature. Yes. And so these are people who, you know, really undersell their ability and also don't often have the time yeah. to sit down and explain to the public what we know, what people need to know mm-hmm. to make informed decisions. And so I I started thinking, all right, well, uh-oh. I'm writing something. I'm yeah. I have to do this. I can't sit here anymore and listen to this garbage. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought about Yeah, it was so infuriating <laughs> and I was a women's health nurse practitioner for 8 years. So, yeah. you know, I just I I just was so frustrated. So I thought about um, you know, what what did I want to write and my experience was in abortion clinics. Mm. Um in women's health, as far yeah. as the women's health world goes. And so I thought, well, that would get people, wouldn't it? I mean, yes. <laughs> I really wasn't thinking about, I, it just so happened that, you know, the, the, the report yeah, did what it did just like two weeks after I um, was publishing the book. It all wow. happened at the same time because I started writing like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the timing was pretty uncanny mm. for what was happening. I really wrote the book because I thought, okay, these are these are real stories. And I wasn't after like the right or the wrong of it or mm-hmm. pro-choice or pro-life. I really wanted to give people the the full picture of what a what a nurse sees what a healthcare provider sees when you walk into that clinic. Yes. And I don't think anybody else has done that mm-hmm. um, to any great degree. It, there's plenty of women coming forth telling their stories, their actual abortion stories. Yes. I was booted out of one group because I said, well, I, I didn't have an abortion, but I've been at hundreds, hundreds of abortions. Yeah. And they said, nope, it's not the same. You're not qualified. And I agree with them. It's yes. not the same. It mm-hmm. is a little, it's a different journey, but it's, it's unique and being mm. able to see it through my eyes that mm. saw it, you know, day in, day out, hundreds of yeah. patients. And so many of the stories are so similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, yeah, no, this, this, this could be a good one. Be a fly yeah. on the wall, learn, learn what I do and how I've, how I've grown through this yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about in the book, um, a lot of things that like challenged you as well in in the journey. Like some of the things that you saw that like you share, the things that are popping to my mind, you share everything from, you know, women who have multiple children already that are having abortions because they're not able to have another child in there. They're the majority of women yes. having abortions, by Which the way. Which I that is didn't, the majority. Didn't know, mm-hmm. wasn't aware of. So right. completely against my stereotype. You right. also talk about, um, and we were talking before we started recording, like my backgrounds in forensic biology. So you also talk about um, abortions that have been as a result of rape or as a result of incest, horrible incest. Some of those stories in that it's quite, yeah, I know mm-hmm. cases like that firsthand and it's hard. Yeah. it was hard yeah, you- to reread those things to to, yeah. to be reminded that there is actually families where that is just a very normal thing that happens generationally again and again and again, even if social services are involved, that it's just part of the kind of culture and expectation. Um, But you talk a lot about some of the the challenging aspects when you, because you were working in a hospital system. I actually really appreciated too you sharing the reality of being a hospital nurse and the, it's almost like the drudgery of being in a, 
you know, a system that has so much pressure on it, you don't have enough time to actually really, really be with a patient the way that you would probably like to. You hear the same stories all the time, so you get quite desensitized, which also we were talking about similar sort of thing with the forensic end of things. Like you just, I don't know, the kind of the stories become all one big ball of like I've heard this kind of vein before, and so you get that Mm -hmm. kind of desensitizing. And so when you decide to go and apply for the job in the abortion clinic, like can you talk about like what was the kind of process (laughs) <laughs> like, did you just go, I'm bored of a hospital, I'm going to do something very different? <laughs> well, I, I sort of did. Yeah. Um, you know, I was working at that point, I had left the intensive care unit because I really didn't want to, I like talking to people yes. and I was in a, a brain trauma unit. So oh, yeah, that's I not a good didn't fit. talk. Not a good fit. <laughs> Actually, me. you just reminded me, my husband used to say, this is my wife. She must have a scintillating personality. She worked in a morgue and then she worked in sleep studies. <laughs> and I'm like, again, you seem very outgoing. I don't well, know. Well, that's the thing. Like, complete disconnect, Patrice. You and I parallel stories. Right. Anyway, but, sorry. Right. Continue. Well, no, no. It's, it is, it wasn't even that. I think it was the futility of the work I was doing. Yes. So there's a lot of futility in doing, um, working in a hospital. You know, you get the, okay, yes. There's, you know, you can work in labor and delivery or work in pediatrics or some happy place, although pediatrics is not really a happy place. Um, But by and large, you're working with old people, sick, really sick, frail people. And to put them in, in intensive care units is it's it's inhumane mm. and it's stupid half the time. Yeah. And, you know, you're, I think we, I love critical care nurses and mm. physicians and, but it's just not my, it's not my, my passion. It's to me, there's so much futility and there's just a lot of um, saving when we really should be looking at letting go. Yeah. The um, life expectancy and, has become yeah, and, like and the, helping yeah. Yeah, it's all about saving lives. Yeah. And there's just, so, it's so limiting to the human experience for me. It was so limiting for the, for me to the, mm-hmm. you know, and just, and I say in the book too, that hospitals are very artificial places. You don't yeah. see people in their own, even in their own clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we take them and we put them in our little gowns and everybody has to march to our drum, mm-hmm. you know, and I always had sort of that sense that someday, I'd really like to get out of this artificial environment yeah. that serves us yeah. maybe more than it serves half the patients that yeah. are there yep. um, and see who they really are, how they got here and how we can really move people forward yeah. far beyond this encounter. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, d- I really did. I just, I finished my master's degree and I started looking you know, at that time it was like the one it adds and I thought anything but a hospital. I just... <laughs> I don't care. And and as I said in the book, I mean, the book, I want people to know that it's actually really funny too. There's a it lot is, of really it is. funny things. So, I wanted to make that point because you, you may parking. be thinking, oh, what am I getting myself in for? I was, to be honest, thinking, oh, okay, I've got some trepidation. And I was very pleasantly surprised because it was you know, there's there's heartbreaking moments, there's really lighthearted moments, and you really get a feel for the the whole range of characters in all of the stories and yeah I I think I would challenge anyone to read it and then be able to say 
I am 100% pro-choice or I am 100%, you know, pro-life. Exactly. I'm also astounded by the fact that there's actually people that are pro-abortion. So you explain oh, that yeah. in the book. So yes, I did I not did. understand. So pro-abortion as in everybody should abort every baby. Well, that, that, not or exactly. Not that it's more like um, selection. It's, <laughs> you know. Oh, the, the, even worse than everybody. Like, yes, they should. Yes. It's sort of like, um, yeah, like a selective process. And mm. truly some of these people, you know, that I meet or have met, mm. they're just, mm. they're very burnout people. And they look at the population explosion and they look at, you know, those kinds of things. And they're just like, stupid people shouldn't breed. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that Darwin. uh, Yeah. Yeah. The Darwin Awards. The Darwin Awards. You know, it's like stupid people just keep reading and we, please let's take, let's take this for you. And yes, that's an extreme, um, yeah, view, but it yes. is not unheard of, really. But I, I, I would really challenge someone who is firmly in one oh, or yeah. the other of the extremes of oh, the, yeah. you know, of the, uh, what's that continuum? Yes, um, to read your book and be so black and white in either direction. And that's the point. That was so my point was, you know, we sanitize, you know, on one hand, you know, we're sanitizing things and saying, oh, it's great. Take these pills. You'll be fine. You know, that's a little cavalier. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, you know, you have the people who are life at every cost and it doesn't matter. You know, the mother's health isn't as important. So yes, yes, my goal really was to bring all of it to light so Mm -hmm. that people can do their inner work. People need to do their inner work. Mm -hmm. It is the only way out of this quandary. That is what I say again and again. This is an inside job. And until you can really do, you know, self-examine and Mm -hmm. look at your biases, we will continue the way we are. Yeah. 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 And do you mean in terms of it's judgment, isn't it really? When it comes down if we want to get down to the root, root cause of this huge divide that we're in, it's judging other people through the lens that we have, that we believe, or we whatever, our version of the world, our construct of the world, which is just a construct, as I've just been talking right, about with our guests before. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. And when our view doesn't doesn't agree with someone else's view, it's that oppositional, if I'm right, you must be wrong kind of thinking that causes all of the big divide mm-hmm. and war and all of the, all of the other things yeah. that are wrong with the world. Um, yeah. What do you think, looking back at your time in the clinic, do you think that you went into it kind of like naive or like what, what, what was your experience versus your expectation? I'm interested to see. Oh, my gosh, I was so naive. <laughs> Did you have any ideas? I was so, so naive. naive. Yeah. I I had no idea. And I had worked, I didn't work in women's health. I mean, I did regular adult care in mm-hmm. hospitals for 14 years yeah. um, before doing this. And I actually became, excuse me, an adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. But this job came up. I was qualified as an adult um, practitioner. Mm-hmm. And then I sub and then I subsequently got a specialization in women's mm-hmm. health for a brief while. And then I got bored with women's <laughs> health. It's too narrow for me. I lo- yeah. my, the, my world is just too big. Yeah. But um, I really, so um, I had no idea. I mean, un- unless you've, there's no way you can go into this with any real expectations other than if you've worked with 
real people yeah. because it the the gamut of people's sexual expression mm-hmm. is beyond the scope of any one person's point of view and this yeah. is all about sexuality yes. and uh relationships or no relationships mm-hmm. or physical situations or uh you know it just it just runs the gamut mm-hmm. um and you just see, I said this working there to me, it was like being at the deli counter the day before Christmas. Yeah. That's how ver- varied the people are. The yeah. people you see, you again, like you, yeah. I totally thought, Kylie, I was like, oh, they're teen, you know, teen girls yeah, and, you know, fallen what... women like who had an affair. Oh my God, no. no. Okay, there were some. Yeah. But mostly, I mean, you, everyone, the bus drivers, the cashiers, mm-hmm. the CEOs, the moms from school, yeah, every day, mm-hmm. all. I mm-hmm. never saw a more diverse group of people in my life than when I would walk in the lobby of the abortion clinic. Yeah, everyone, people I knew. Surprise! Yeah, that <laughs> I'll was. See I'll see you at soccer practice next oh, week. That's a bit <laughs> tricky. Oh, it was tricky. tricky. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, can we talk about because I feel like. I mean, I can't talk about other countries, but I think in Australia, or my my sense is in Australia that we still have a kind of frame of abortion that we don't really talk about it outwardly. Like, you know, it's not a, like, I think there's a lot of barriers that have been broken, especially recently. So like the Me Too movement, you know, opened up the end of the like completely inappropriate sexual conduct and the power and all of that end of things right then we've been talking much more about periods and menstrual cycles and you know um, living cyclically as a woman and all of those things in my kind of field much more about perimenopause menopause and all of those transitional states that happen in changes in you know hormones etc across a woman's lifespan right but I feel like abortion is still very taboo in Australia at least would it be still in the states everywhere everywhere yeah. there is not a place in the world to my knowledge where mm-hmm. you could you know be i don't know running errands and you're or go to church or wherever community mm-hmm. center you go to and people say oh how are you doing i heard you yeah you, heard yeah, you had yeah. an abortion let alone even oh i heard that you know you had a miscarriage everything okay yes. we no one can talk about that how was your hip replacement perfectly fine mm-hmm. right yeah. or even i find a level of comfort among men you know oh how'd that prostate surgery go but you, you know do you even ask a woman about her ovarian cyst or you know so let uh, even just lose i you know losing a, a pregnancy which i did yes. have a miscarriage myself and spoke about that but um that alone you know people i you know, I, a lot of people had known that I was pregnant. And then when yeah. I wasn't pregnant, but they, they said, oh my gosh, how are you? And mm-hmm. say, oh, oh, how's the pregnancy? Oh, I, you know, I miscarried. And yeah. then, you know, the horror and the and shame then people, on the person's face. And they're like, yeah. oh, what did I say? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So could you imagine my vision, my dream is of a world where we could go, you know, and see, see, you know, a good friend and, and, uh, you know, they'll say, how was your abortion? Yeah. How yeah, did yeah. that go for you? How are you? Because I can tell you, even after a miscarriage, I was the loneliest woman in the world. Yeah. I was so lonely. Because you know, unless anything, somebody else had been through it, right? Yeah. 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 Anything that we don't and talk one about in disconnects every, us. 
right. Yeah. One in every four women mm-hmm. in the United States will have had an abortion by age 45. I actually meant to look up the statistic in Australia. I would say it would be very similar. (laughs) It Um, used to be one in three. (laughs) Ah, interesting. Up till 15 years ago, one in every three women. So here we all are, right, having these experiences. Mm. And it's even between us, we're so, it's such a taboo Mm. subject. And I, I just don't really know why that is and why we feel embarrassed or ashamed. Mm. I'm hoping it's like me too, where women were, and myself included, ashamed to say, oh, that guy, you know, just grabbed my ass. Or yeah. like it, your first reaction is to freeze and sort of curl up in a ball and pretend it didn't happen. And we're like the same, you know, we can have sneeze. Sorry. <laughs> I could see a sneeze coming. <laughs> I was trying to mute my microphone. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. So anyway, okay. what a world it would be, right? If we had the opportunity to be able to talk about this because it is a loss. Um, you know, an abortion is a spon- is an elective, uh, yes. or uh, I'm sorry, let me say this the other way. A miscarriage is a spontaneous abortion. Abortion, Yes. You it's, you know, too. so you didn't choose it, but you still had an, it, you still had an abortion. Yes. Yeah. So uh, as opposed to an elective abortion, mm-hmm. um, but it's all the, the loss is very real. And it's, it's similar, you know, just because you decided to do this, um, you need to be able to go through all the stages of healing. And we have so much that's not healed because we can't talk about these things in a rational, comforting, healing way. Yeah. And I think too, like anything that we're not, any story or any, um, experience that we have any level of shame about which then stops us sharing the shame festers in the dark it's only when we start sharing and processing doesn't mean we have to be telling every single person but I also think that this the whole the whole topic of abortion is this collision of you know, we have this stupid idea about what a good mother is, which yes. is at odds with having an abortion because a mother should do everything for her child possible to blah, blah, blah. Like, And often right. the unsaid expectation is at the expense of yourself. Like, you know, that's yes. this, you know, a good mother is a sacrificer. A good mother is the caretaker. A good mother is the juggler, like all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, all power to the patriarchy, good way of keeping us in our place, right? Um, right. <laughs> but there's that story. Then there's the shame that we may or may not put on ourselves. And then the kind of taboo, it, like it's a collision of so many different things that, and I guess I guess one of the other things that may be going on is if we don't talk about it and therefore we don't know someone's viewpoint and then we share that we have chosen to have an abortion, then we run the risk of. I don't know, like um, it's kind of like politics, right? It's safer not to speak about it. If, you know, oh, so yeah. like, um, so sure. I guess, and because it can be such a polarizing um, topic, I think. Oh my God, I couldn't talk about my job. I mean, mm. with, you know, again, my kids were starting kindergarten yes. uh, and, you know, you're starting to meet all the moms in the school district. Yeah, yeah. And I had to be very, very careful just to protect them because mm. there I certainly would be ostracized even by people who believed in what I was doing mm-hmm. you know you don't really want to associate with that it's icky 
right? Yeah. So yeah. So even just working in it, let alone, you know, have I think having one, you can have a level of privacy privacy for sure. Yes. But you know, working cho- and choosing to work in that, uh, it's very uh uh polarizing. Yeah. Admit that. You talk about um arriving at work and there was often or always I'm not really sure whether you, what you said but you know often protesters you know leading into the building etc and there was you talk about a gentleman who was older and he was there consistently and even though he was an anti-abortion protester or pro-life let's let's say that rather than anti-abortion pro-life protester he also became almost a bit protective of you guys and so when there was more extreme or violent or whatever threatening protesters he would be you know try to be a, a bit of a buffer I guess is, is kind yeah. of how I understood it uh-huh. um it's so interesting isn't it it's, it's like like you, you talk about him and you kind of there's almost like a fondness of like uh, uh, and and you say something like I can respect the fact that he has an opinion that is different to mine and he feels strongly enough about it to kind of stand up for it, but he does it in a way that does no harm to other people, I guess. And and I think really if I'm understanding you correctly when you say, you know, there's healing to be done, it's really about that, isn't it? It's like I can have my opinion, you can have your opinion, and I don't have to be opposed to you just through definition that your opinion and my opinion differs. Right. Well, but the yes, that's exactly it. The problem is that, um, you know, if you are a pro-life person, Mm -hmm. you can't, you, the thought of destroying a potential life or what they believe is an actual life, even though that is a very new uh, philosophy. Mm -hmm. So the history alone is is just fascinating on this. The church did not believe that an egg and a sperm, the moment it fertilized, it was a human. That's very, very new. And then there's um, some and weird... even here. Sorry. I was oh, gonna go say ahead. there's no. some weird thing in the book about a female becomes a life at 40 days and a what, yes. what, what and they still made believe, this rule. Oh, they up. still believe that. I just was driving by the clinic the other day and somebody yeah. had their sign up, you know. Uh yes. So it came from uh well the, the a lot of the original tenets, yeah, came mm-hmm. from the fifth set of fifth century it's the catholic church and it was um oh no i'm sorry this part actually came from aristotle so how aristotle decided this i don't know but yes uh males are become ensouled like a soul Mm -hmm. is enters Mm -hmm. at 80 Mm -hmm. days gestation and for a female no i'm sorry 40 days for a male 80 days for female it takes us (laughs) twice as long to find a soul I was just like, I'm saying to my husband, I was on the, on the couch and he's trying to watch something on his headphones and the iPad. And I'm like, listen to this shit. (laughs) Whacking him and listen to this crap. It's true. And I just saw somebody with a a protester the the other week with the sign, you know, 40 days, 40. I mean, you don't even know what, you know, you can't gender them at that early anyway. But I was like, do you know where that came from? (laughs) It's like, you know, eating fish on Friday. I'm not to not to be mean or anything, but like, do you know where that came from? Or are you just following rhetoric? You know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then that begs the question, if you don't know where it's from, you have made a decision to choose to believe that. And I have made a decision not to choose to believe that. I have a different belief system. So we're back to the, right. you know, and and I guess, I don't know, I'm I'm trying to be um, uh, balanced. I don't know how you say without an opinion, but I think it's safe for, safe for me to say, I don't even really need to be safe. Where I'm going is I don't want to be polarizing in the way that we're talking about this, but to right. me, my stance is to believe that every woman should have choice. Yeah. So then, therefore, by definition, then they yeah should right. have access so, to the ability right. So to, it really yeah. does come down to, although we talk about being pro-life and pro-choice, yes. Uh, and you could, you know, there are nuns that are saying no, you're uh, to you're pro-birth, you're not pro-life because there is no economic <laughs> follow-through if you save, you know, the pregnancy. Uh, what are you doing to yeah. provide for, you know, a human being to grow and develop in a really, you know, beneficial way for themselves and the world around them? And mm -hmm. this is what I'm very worried about. One in three American women doesn't have access to abortion right now. And so there's a lot of data. There was a huge study um, out of University of um, California. Mm -hmm. It was a long study. You're, you'll appreciate it. It's called the Turnaway Study. And they looked at women who were allowed to have an abortion and those that were turned away. And they followed yes. them for 10 years to see. And I think I talk, I did talk about that in the book. But um, the long-term consequences of women not being uh, able to make the best decisions for themselves are mm -hmm. devastating mm -hmm. to them, to the children that they already had, and to the children that they they end yes. up having. Yes. So we're going to see some very interesting um, dynamics, you know, 10, 20 years from mm -hmm. now, from the result of all of these decisions. As a direct result. But I do, yeah. And so mm -hmm. like, and I get it that these people just feel they've really found a mountain to die on that is no different than the Crusades, no different than a holy war. What is, what could you latch onto that really grabs your heart mm -hmm. other than, you know, saving the unborn? Yes. I call this the, uh, the time, the time of the fetus, the holy <laughs> war of the womb. <laughs> the That's the where fetus. we are. There's your you know, podcast it's fetus title. Worship. Yes. <laughs> it's like fetus worship and I can get into that and I can mm. sink my teeth into it and be yes. passionate about something because we don't we don't get to do holy wars anymore. So you've got to find one and this is what That's people so found. True. That's so true. I I love that you talk a lot in the book about the history of abortion, the fact that it is actually readily done, readily available for thousands of years, and then there's this introduction of, um, I guess it's like the birth time of allopathic medicine, isn't it? So we go from mm -hmm. the the snake mm -hmm. charmer kind of, you know, yes, healer those people, witchy that, midwives, witchy, get rid of yeah, them, We're exactly. Deliver babies in hospitals yes. by good doctors. Correct. So we lock it all down. And we say, no, 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 this is dangerous. We're going to, you know, systematize everything. And that that comes back to like, is a hospital environment even a real healing environment? No, it's not by definition right. um, because it's clinical and it's artificially lit and it's blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Um, but you talk a lot about and then there's this swing of like, okay, then actually what I also want to talk about, which is linked to what I want to say now, is the education in schools and the fact that still 
2023, the majority of schools are not doing decent sex education. Is that true in Australia as well? Well, see, I'm an, like, I'm a biologist, right? By trade, I'm sure you were like this with your kids. So my kids were like overeducated from like two. (laughs) You know, with the proper anatomical names for everything and they're like, you know, we have people in our family that still do the PP thing and I'm like, no, it's a penis. Don't call your elbow your wawa, so we don't call that a (laughs) PP. I I just don't understand because that in itself creates shame around body parts that we should have equal connection and contact with. Anyway, um, my kids who are 18 and 19 had very little sex education and they were done... There were sessions done, yeah, it was just very clumsy, like girls and boys separate and and only sort of cherry picking, like they all put a condom on a banana. I'm like, that's great, but do we know about, you know, anything to do with the attraction and like like just like you were missing out big chunks of biology so kids don't really understand yeah, yeah, they're not anyway. sex health. They're not sexual health educators. No. Usually, they were they're gym teachers. Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, oh my lord, what <laughs> crazy! I know the softball teacher is telling us about peepees. <laughs> yeah, probably. Right. Who right. knows? Right. And they're terrified. You know, they hate having to teach that. And you know, yeah. they should. They're not trained at the to the same depth as a sex sexual health. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, and they're amazing at what they do. And yeah, so okay, so um, it's curious to me. I was, I, I didn't know uh, Australia was probably. You're a little more progressive. I think people here would fall over if there was a banana and a condom in a a public yeah well, setting here. Well, I didn't even know whether that was part of the curriculum. I just remember that the teacher that was, so this was at a state, it's a government high school. Um, when my girls, my girls both later went to private girls' schools, and there was a little bit more cycle education rather than like so understanding their own kind the of menstrual cycle, yes, menstrual cycle mm-hmm. that type of thing, which we certainly didn't get at school. So at least in a generation, we're improving that. But I think yeah. if we're not starting from the very beginning with people who are connected to their bodies and aware of their own sexual health and preferences and all, all of those things like we we we're setting up people to not understand at the beginning of life right and unless right. you have like unless you're part of a, a friend group or a profession that sees more and more of that sort of like um you know I know nurses are very like oh yeah I've seen everything like you know because you're <laughs> exposed all the time right so it just yeah. becomes you know but unless you're someone who's willing to talk about those things that aren't necessarily talked about in families, certainly my parents did not do any. Like my dad was 55 when I was born, so I'm mm. lucky I didn't have a chastity belt, I reckon. <laughs> like he was like, I'm talking three generations different. So he was. Right? He used to get oh. funny with me if a boy, like I went to a girls' school, but there was a boys' school kind of across the road. If one of my friends who were boys rang on the phone, my dad would have an absolute conniption. Oh, my goodness. Because that was like he was coming, calling on me. And I'm like, no, um, we're friends. We're just just friends. Like literally just friends. <laughs> Never, ever, like, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I certainly didn't get any kind of education <laughs> in that end of things from my parents. And, uh, yeah, I just think I love that you you cover the the history and and the ways that decisions have been made. Mm. even legally Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. 
And I hope that what we're seeing is just one extreme of the pendulum and that we will come back, you know, to somewhere that's yeah. I, a little bit I more think pro-choice, so. but I don't, I hope. I think I hope young so. people, young people are, are done with this bullshit. Sorry, yeah. but they are, they are, they're just like, I'm sorry. Mm. No, we're not doing this. So the people making these decisions right now are old. Yes. They're white. Yep. They're male, um, usually. You know, and they're male. Mm-hmm. mostly. I mean, you do have a lot of women, you know, who really buy into this. Uh, yeah. It's, But it is patriarchy. Make no mistake. It's patriarchy. It and it's keeping women you know, in their place. Right. It is. It is. So, yeah. So on the one hand, and I do say that, you know, pro-life people in their purest form are idealists in a very messy world yeah. that they, you know, can say, oh, the miracle of life and we have to, but mm-hmm. that's not really but but who's housing that are yeah. it's the patriarchal misogyny keep women down holy crap we can't let women make these decisions for themselves oh, yes so it's really an interesting like little capsule that's housed in you know the much bigger one that we're yeah. all experiencing yeah, yeah yeah and i think to like i look at my daughter's at 18 and 19 and they're so much wiser to mm-hmm. the systems of oppression that are in place. Yes. Like I, so are. much more, I feel like when I was growing up and I grew up, you know, middle-class white family, Australia, you know, suburb kind of very average-ish, but I certainly wasn't aware of the fact that I was living in a bubble of- no you know, white, cisgendered, black, like all of the right. all of the things that are being brought into the light. And I think every time I say something and one of my girls says, hey, do you realize I'm like, oh, this is so good because we need we it's need so that, you know, the challenging of the because I'm still inside of that bubble. And as much as I would like to say, you know, I'm not racist, I'm not this, I'm not this, that all of these unconscious biases that I've always had because that's what I was brought up with and that's what my environment was, all of those things are still playing out in the background. Me too. Me too. I would love to say that I've got it together and I don't. My kids and young people teach me so much. Yeah, and it's good. And I think that, you know, eventually the old white men making decisions are going to be dead. So hopefully yes. um, in the next generation. And I don't know whether, is it the same in the States when we go to elections here, more and more there's younger people getting involved in the political landscape, whereas yeah, I feel like yeah, there was there almost are. a bit of an apathy. Mm-hmm. Like we have mm-hmm. we have compulsory voting here. Oh. Yeah, 100%. So as soon as you're 18, you're on the electoral roll and you have to, comp- and otherwise you're fined. And I mean, there's positives and negatives. The positive is, do you get a better, you know, overview of the whole population? But the negative is, if you don't really want to vote, you just informally vote and put Mickey Mouse or nothing on your form and whack it in the right because you were forced. It wasn't a privilege; it was a a forced situation. Yeah, that's interesting. So when I was a teenager and into my twenties, a lot of my friends were just informally voting or couldn't give a hoot. And I'm not a political animal at all. I don't understand politics. It's never interested me, which probably means I'm just being ignorant. It does. Let's be honest. (laughs) Infuriating though. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But now. I feel like the young people are, they're like, I have a vote. I get a right to say this and this bullshit, exactly like you were just saying, this system of oppression, this bullshit that you've been doing for the last however many generations ends with us. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a brilliant thing because it's like all of these structures will, you know, I mean, it's a long yeah. way. You know, when I was, patriarchy, I was writing the book and I thought, uh, I knew that it, there was a possibility that our, that our uh, Roe versus Wade would be overturned. And I yeah. thought of the young women that I saw and they, I do believe, were thinking like, but this is a no-brainer. Of course, that's not going to happen. And yet here they are confronted with this in in outrage and disbelief. And in, in a way, that's a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. to say, don't ever take for granted that you're going to be able to live your life, you know, Going in a meaningful way. Yeah. <laughs> that somebody would take privileges away from you that mm-hmm. we you know, the women uh, about, you know, 10 or 15 years older than me fought so hard for, Yes, you know, so they are, they are waking up and saying, excuse me, we are not, we're not doing this. So good for them. Point to make because anger is such a, and again, the um, lady that I just spoke to this morning, the trauma researcher, we were talking about the anger, the emotion of anger and the fact that it's a very energizing emotion it creates you setting boundaries. It says, no, I'm not available for that. You will not treat, you know, like there's a lot of good that can come yeah. from anger that's in response to what's happening, not, not you know, out of proportion well, right. or, you know, spiritual right. response. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that that's a good point that uh, I certainly, yeah, I know watching from Australia. See, the other thing that, and this again is probably my stereotype of the states, even though I lived there for a very short amount of time. Like obviously I was only in one state. I didn't well, two actually. <laughs> so it's in Oregon State and New York. <laughs> like New York. Okay, City. well you gotta <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of different, very different extremes. contrasting. Very, very different cultures. I love Oregon. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. New York, but I could not live there. Um, but as an observer from Australia looking at US landscape and particularly politics around Trump and everything, like there was lots of things that happened that I think a lot of Australians were very surprised about and I don't think we kind of appreciated um, the size and the strength of lots of very polarised political viewpoints over there because I think here we have a lot less, like we're very much more in the middle in all of our, well, most of our um, options with our politicians. Like we don't really have... Such a big like you're either a Republican oh, or a Democrat. Or like a Democrat, you just yeah. don't really have that to that extreme. And yeah. so I think like we were all looking, going, "What the hell just happened? Like how did you know?" It, it seemed like a no brainer that, of course, we all thought that too. <laughs> yeah, well, but there's but there's sections in the states that absolutely didn't think. No, that's correct. They were like, "This is the right person for the job," and there's huge proportions mm-hmm. of and including some of um, <laughs> my relatives. Anyway, <laughs> it's a whole other kettle of fish. But um, I think you're right. There's there's something to be said for having the belief that, of course, that couldn't happen. That worst case scenario in my head, of course, that mm-hmm. couldn't happen. Oh, shit. Okay. It now can and it do. did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know if complacency just comes, you know, complacency comes through several generations and then something you know shakes people out of their you know comfort zone and wakes them up and this generation of kids you know just the pandemic and the you know take the patriarchal stuff and it's there they have really been shaken from their beds haven't they 100 percent. and i think um 
I love the fact that, again, coming back to like, you know, my little bubble that I grew up in, I love the fact that, yeah, that we're in a generation where what are your pronouns? How do you want to be, you know, um, referred to? What's your identity? That there's even opportunity to express that part of yourself because I cannot imagine having to live in a society that didn't accept something that you very much were in yourself but have to kind of mask that all the time. That's like that's the definition of illness, right? When you can't be yourself, like the dissonance that is created from that. Like that's but traumatic. we've done that. You know, we yeah. have done that for women. And oh yeah, yeah. Back to abortion, right? Yeah. Like so, you're a woman who's had an abortion. I had a patient the other day who was uh, in her early 40s. I'll say probably around 41, and she had mm-hmm. had 18 pregnancies. Wow. Right. You know, and so this is like you wouldn't your jaw drops, right? Uh, my <laughs> jaw is dropped. dropping right yeah. now. <laughs> and this is not the only patient I've seen yeah, like no. this. People who have had, you know, you know, 12, 13 pregnancies and they're in their 30s. So they're and this is this is real. And mm. you know, we just again living in our little bubble, you know, mm. I'm looking at her chart and her history and there was a show on uh here called oh i forget what it was called the the family with 17 children oh yes 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 yeah yeah um so this is okay like this is a reality yeah and i'm talking to these people and i could tell you that that's real this woman was like 43 and she had had, this was her 18th pregnancy so and we can't get our head around things because we don't talk about them this and we the don't thing. learn from people. And I wouldn't be able to, you know, it's not something that you would be able to talk to somebody about that you, you know, we're meeting in conversation, mm-hmm. even that, oh, yeah, I've I've had three kids. I've had four uh, miscarriages mm-hmm. and two abortions. Like, mm-hmm. so we're all repressed wearing our masks. And that's just one yeah. example that, yes. you know, being a, of a gender persuasion that's different. We're all wearing so many masks still and it is an exciting time to be alive yeah because we are starting to really question that and um you know be brave yeah uh you know i look at these kids and they're just so brave they are aren't they yeah and so my i see this generation as way more accepting of lots of different points of view it's like you know coming back to original original it's like we don't agree. And it's like they cannot agree and be very happily at peace with the fact that. And also, not only that, they're curious about another yes. point of view. And they're very happy to challenge their preconceived notion or question their preconceived notion. Right. Whereas I feel like I'm still living out things that, you know, I was taught as a kid that I've never really questioned because that's just the way it was, uh, you know, kind of like the me too thing like i've got so many examples of completely inappropriate sexual behavior in queensland government in the early 90s like i, I was told by i'm sure i've told this story on podcast before but i was told by my boss who also said in court once that of course a woman could feel a hair next to a tampon in her vagina so going back to your original, original, okay. I'm like, I beg you. Spoken with harder. authority. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, do you have a vagina? <laughs> maybe obviously... that's the size of his penis. Well, maybe. Hair. I don't know. <laughs> He's hoping anyway. you can feel that. 
That was really mean. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> but it does, small-mindedness brings out that sort of reaction, doesn't it? But anyway, he once said that my um, tits were too big and my mouth too loud to get anywhere in his lab. Wow. But that's just oh. the way it was, right? If my yeah. kids were told that now, they'd be like, off to HR, instant dismissal. You can't treat me like that. Yeah. Actually, and we did. Like we just that. were like, oh. Yeah. Well, yep. you know, hospitals, doctors and nurses. Oh, I mean, please. Out. Man, that's a yeah. And nurses, of- you know, there's still the nurse, the pornography, I mean, uh, the Halloween industry with the sexy nurse thing. It's a big thing. I know. Still. <laughs> I don't know. Also don't in know. Australia. Weird. Anyway. <laughs> Um, sorry, we've gotten off topic so many times, but I'm enjoying our conversation. I would be, I'm interested to something that I, there was so many different parallels in the book between like my forensic career and the, um, the nursing end of things in terms of that developing like the coping strategies of either having like, you know, a hard shell or a, you know, gallows humor or a whatever, because you kind of, that desensitization happens and it's the way that we start to kind of cope with things. I'm interested to hear what are some of the, like the things that you found difficult to cope with or found traumatic were they what you expected or were they those weird things that just kind of sideswipe you? I think it was a mix of both and it continues mm-hmm. to be because I do yes. still work and I, I now I work remotely. Um, mm-hmm. I just handle emergencies and problems after the procedure patients yeah. can call. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a mix. Some of the things that you would expect to be uh, very traumatic, like an 11 year old, um, who, uh, you know, was raped, um, Mm. by her brother and, you know, and they're not coming in because the parents thought she had some kind of gastrointestinal problem for months because she was only 11 and had never had a period yet. So that, and then, yeah, but it's the moments I would say in those situations, it's, you know, you, you know, the situation you're going, it's the little moment within the situation when, you know, when I walk in and I'm talking to this little girl, mm-hmm. she's just a little girl and, you know, she's, I, do you have any questions? And she mm-hmm. asked me if she could um, bring her teddy bear with yeah, her. Yeah. I remember that. Part. You know, you're just, those are the, so it's those little poignant moments within the situation where you, you know, you go home and of course you look at your, your own kids and yeah. Who, uh, yeah. So it's, it, but it, it is those kinds of things. I think burnout though comes from just the, like you said, the constant barrage yeah. of humanity that flows through your mm-hmm. doors and no matter what you do, it is, it's like a tsunami and it's like, you know, that little kid, guy, kid on the beach who's throwing mm-hmm. back one fish at a time. And yeah. somebody says, well, you know, you can't save them. They're like, well, I saved one. Yeah. And that's, a gr- that's great. But really, over time, when it just is a wave that just keeps rolling yeah. in, so that's when the, the, yeah, it's, you just think, I, this is, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. So, it's yeah, the futility. There's levels. Yeah. Like you use futility before. I think that's a perfect word because yeah. I think it's easy to be invested in something where you feel and see that you're making a difference 
mm-hmm. and you can feel a sense of contribution. Like one of my main things that I want to feel is useful, like just simply useful right. in whatever thing that I'm doing. Um, right. And it seems such a simple word, but that is important to me. But I think when you don't feel that you are making a difference or a significant difference, it's actually changing the picture of the tsunami of people. It is, you start going, is the cost to my like physical, emotional, mental health, you know, it's, it becomes more difficult to say that I'm willing to pay the cost, isn't it? Yeah. And, but you know, the people who do it year in and year, I went back into the clinic not long ago and Mm I, I, there were, people that I had worked with 25 years ago that are still there and we knew each other and we hugged and they to me are such I don't I can't even use the word hero I guess people stay in doing that kind of work for a variety of reasons maybe they're heroic maybe they're not but I do know plenty of people in the field who feel so committed no matter what no matter whether they saved you know one fish or and they can really uh they can really drill down to that one moment in one day Mm -hmm. where one patient said thank Thank you 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 know And, and and they know that and um I uh, I think now that I'm older, I can do that much better than I could when I was younger. You know, ah, um, I saw, you know, I saw one of your podcasts was about the, you know, be the perfection and being a perfectionist and needing to meet <laughs> yeah. your goals. And, you know, when you're young and I was maybe in my, I don't know, maybe late thirties when I decided, you know, when the burnout, then the, yeah. the wave came rolling <laughs> over me. But now I do think about every little fish. It's yes. the beauty of getting older. It's, and yes. at that point I said, I am not doing enough and I'm not, you know, and, and I think that was my youthful ignorance saying, oh, you have to go do something where you can make a huge impact. Yes, you know, it's yes. like ego, right? Yeah. And now I don't really feel that way. I do feel like there's just those moments of connection yeah. that you make and that one thank you. And that's that's enough for me now. Yeah. But the people who've been able to do it all along, man, they're amazing. They're just yeah, amazing. Yeah, I admire people like that. Yeah. I think um, I'm reading a book. Oh, I've read a book. Um, I've got it with me somewhere called The Upgrade. It's by a psychiatrist and she talks about how our brain changes as we hit midlife and beyond. And I'm not sure if it's that book or another one that I've just read because they all kind of meld in together now. But um, she talks about that in our 20s and 30s, like we, we are literally wired to mate, procreate, build a family if we, you know, have the desire to and ability to. Um, and then as we hit that midlife, so we can also be, it's almost like identity forming. So our teens, our twenties, our thirties, it's a lot about that outward kind of like, where am I in the world? What ladder am I climbing? Where do I want to get to myself, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go through this midlife transition and then all of a sudden it's much more about, um, yeah, it's not external ego driven, it's contribution driven. Right. And that makes so much sense to me. Like I just, I feel, I sense that in myself. I've only, I'm only really just on the cusp of the, you know, the freedom from the really intense mothering years. So my girls are 18 and 19. I'm like, as of Friday, I officially have two adults. Well, in Australia, we say 18 is adulthood, but anyway. Um, Yeah. So I, it's interesting to hear you say that because it's like I can understand how when the ego is driving that, like I need to do something big and the, 
you know, that kind of thing. It needs to be a big change or a significant bloody blah contribution. Yeah, yeah. But now yeah. you can career moves, that. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh God. I'm a like, oh, I'm just exhausted thinking like that. No, I, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. I'll do color with old people. I don't care. <laughs> I taught it in Ivy League school. I don't even, it doesn't oh. matter. I'll go color with you if you want to color. You know what? I'm my only, <laughs> like I've been really, because I, I had my own business um, for seven years. I don't even know when I, like 2011 I started it when my, my daughters were quite young. My dad had just passed away, moved to the States, blah, blah, blah. And I just see so much of a difference because I've only just come into, back into business this year or beginning of this year. And it's such a different, like it's my first yeah. version of business was grow and scale and rah, 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 and massive mm-hmm. impact and blah, blah, like very ego driven. And now I'm like, I just want to have beautiful conversations where I learn something and connect with someone. I want to write beautiful copy that speaks about the people that I'm working with, like the healers and helpers of the world. And I want to do something nice and creative. And then after that, I'd like to get on my motorbike and ride away. <laughs> like uh, my needs are so, like it's like this they sense are. of enoughness rather than growth. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, so much more. Yeah. Although I did go out on a limb, you know, writing something so controversial. Because so that part of me also came out, you yes. know, and I self-published. So this oh. is my, you know, I paid for my own work. I wasn't going to wait for a publisher to, you know, beg them to say, is this, no, 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 no. This is my gift. This is my gift. Am I going to make millions of dollars? No. Am I, you know, so you really do want to make a a meaningful contribution. And yes, I wrote under a pseudonym uh, because I was advised to do that for safety reasons, not just for myself and my family, but for for me, it was about patience yes. because even the and it was a perfect thing to write about. You we can't I can't tell you about patience. No. I can't. How do I do that? Mm-mm. But how do we also tell you what we really do if we can't be genuine about the real stories that we hear? So this is the conundrum that I yes. came up against, and I also thought, oh my goodness, all right, it was twenty years, twenty five years ago. Yeah. I can write these things. I can change people's name. I don't even remember people's real names anyway. No, exactly. You know, and part I, of the somebody, I don't remember the, but I remember the stories and yeah. I, re- and, and so I, and some of them I would, you know, kind of cluster together yes, to together. form a character, yeah, you, you know, to form characters that. in the book and to yes. make uh, things progress, but they were all true stories that lived inside me. Yes. So yes, but I was willing to be really controversial in a, and in, as a younger woman, I wouldn't mm. have written. No, I couldn't mm. even begin to write this. Mm. But as a you know, woman of a certain age, you know, you start to say, "Fuck it, I exactly. am writing this." Because it has to be written. I hope that no, I'm not hurting anybody's privacy by telling this story. And I'm hopeful that if you do see yourself in this story, that Mm -hmm. you understand how, what a gift your experience Mm -hmm. is giving to the world for, because I can't, as a nurse, you know, I'm not allowed to to speak of those things. And yet, how else are we supposed to be genuine? It has to be real. Yeah. You know, it's, but it was, it was, and, and it was a leap and I still worry, but I do hope that the women's stories that I've told that they're able to say, share it, share yeah. it. It's going to help somebody. 
Oh, and, I, and I have hopefully disguised people's, you know, yes. particular information enough. Yes. I feel like you've walked that line very well. Because when I first started reading, I was thinking, how have you been able to share same thing, patient confidentiality? It's like, how? Right. And then you explain about, you know, these are stories like multiple times I've seen this one kind of character and I've put multiple people together and all of those things. And I was like, ah, oh, so good. Because you like you lift the curtain and we get to see behind something that um a lot of people I know will have stereotypes and completely, you know, untrue, incorrect misinformation about um or assumptions about. Um, there's all the taboo, but you've lifted the curtain, allowed us to see behind it with a, you know, the huge spectrum of experiences. And I still think that that is that it's the contribution thing. Cause it, you talk about your mum a bit in the book about, you know, how, how her generation that like hard one privilege of being a woman who worked after kids and all of those things. And oh, yeah. I feel like when you told those stories, I got a sense of that little kind of thread of like steel in your spine that is, you know, is the part of you that wants to tell this story, you know, because it it has to challenge people's assumptions. And like I said, I challenge anyone to read it and be firmly in one extreme camp or the other. Yeah. You because, should be uncomfortable. Yes. You should be uncomfortable. And that if is you brilliant. are in, and, and I feel like so many people on both sides are so righteous that they have it figured out and that the rest of the world, you should be uncomfortable. If you are super staunch pro choice person, mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. should be some things in there that really yeah, make really you, you know, question. shake in your shoes. They yep. did me mm -hmm. um, and on mm -hmm. the other side as well. Same thing. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Getting too complacent with, oh, well, I know how it should be. Oh, do you? Do you really? You know, no, no you no. don't. And come back to walk a mile in another woman's shoes, right? right. Like it, you really do tell the stories in a way where I'm like, oh, like if I was in the same position, like I would want to have access to this being a choice that I could make for myself. If I, you know, like it, you know, really made me really try and emphasize different, you know, life circumstances. Right. Um, one thing that you said before we started recording, I said to you, you're happy to share your kind of midlife journey and the things, and you've you've kind of shared a bit about, you know, how things have changed as you I love how you say a woman of a certain age. I think fuck that. <laughs> like what does that even mean it's like you know that begs the oh, question what's in a, a certain right. age and what is appropriate for a woman at any age anyway right. we'll leave that there um I think I've challenged that one <laughs> enough on this podcast but um I'm interested how has because you just shared your grandmother to did you say four yes. months old four month old yes to a <gasps> four month old baby girl yes and you said yes. some of the some of the things that you've experienced as part of um, working in women's health are now kind of taking on a, a different meaning. How? Yes. What did you mean oh, by totally. that? Totally. Yeah. Well, you know, I had just released this book last fall. You mm -hmm. know, and about abortion. Yes. And and then you know, my daughter, right as it was being published, said, "Mom, I'm pregnant." I'm pregnant, which was wow. so exciting. And and it's she's in such a good place with it. You know, she's. She was 30 years old. She yeah. has a great job and a great yeah. husband. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's financially stable. All the things mm -hmm. that, you know, lend themselves to um, 
to this being a, a happy thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, so this book comes out and I think people think, oh, you know, and it, as your head is in writing, I mean, writing was such a, um, an immersive experience mm-hmm. for me and it's a soul journey unto itself. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and thinking about, all, you know, what I was writing about and then to hold my newborn baby, mm. uh, granddaughter in my arms um, and thinking about how lucky she was. And then the first thing I thought was may all, I wish that all babies could be this safe and loved Yeah, and how we're forcing babies into the world into a world where they they cannot be Mm. um so it was interesting for me because i thought about and i i felt myself being maybe like a pro-lifer for a a moment in time like Mm -hmm. well how could you hold that how could i hold this precious angel and kill one another one you know and and it does if you really are owning the depth of your soul you have to ask yourself that you do and you don't want to request that or suppress that thought. Um, and so I really, it was a deeply personal moment to mm-hmm. hold this newborn, knowing mm-hmm. that there are a lot of other newborns that A, weren't allowed to come in the first place yeah. by choice or yes. not. Yes. Um, and then there's other ones that are being born into circumstances that just suck. And then there's this one, like, so it, it comes back to, you know, when I wrote in the pretty much in the beginning of the book about, mm-hmm. um, weeding my garden and how, you know, if you really thought about ripping out, oh, I want this, I want this plant. I don't want that plant. Oh, look Mm -hmm. at these plants. I don't want that. Oh, I like that. You know, we do that and it's a stewardship Mm -hmm. and it's not easy. Um, Gardening, we do it without thinking, but we Mm -hmm. haven't really thought about the stewardship that is involved in, you know, life potentials and little things sprouting in bodies. Yes. Um, so yeah. uh, to me, that was just a really, it's a really profound um, and difficult honesty that we have to come to mm. if we're ever going to be able to resolve this. And, you know, myself, I was given this gift, you know, of being alive. Well, you know what? And, you know, my mother said, oh, I, I really wasn't thrilled when I was pregnant with you, yeah, my third yeah, yeah. child. Yeah. Um, she said, but my gosh, what, I, what would I do without you? And and I and I've answered that question quite a bit at, yes. in the book too, of how I've come to terms with that. Um, and you know, the what ifs and the yeah. things that you look at that may have happened but didn't, and so mm-hmm. they didn't. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. the journeys that we take are also um so unique and it's just it's a miracle. It's all yeah. a miracle. Yeah. It's I loved the gardening analogy because I, I've become I think it's because I started my career in like quite a what can be a traumatic profession, not always, but that kind of quite full on. And I also think that it's like the perimenopause thing where I'm being drawn to sort of simplify and everything, but I have become such a soft-hearted person about even gardening. Like I know damn well that there's a garden out there in sore need of some tending we're going into a drought as well, so it's not going to bear well anyway. But I know that there's plants that are crowding other plants that really ideally need to be pulled out. But as I'm pulling them out, I'll be like, oh, oh maybe I should move you somewhere else. Like I'm just such, I'm so sooky. No, I won't. That's that's diminishing. But it, it, that's my reality. Like very, very 
tender about everything. Yeah. yeah, tender. That's actually a better word yeah. for it. It's like yeah. very, yeah, very present to, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, it's the cycles of life and, you you know, as you get older you realise the things that you thought were going to be forever and ever and ever. Like I think there's a lot of um, kind of grief and surrender about, you know, going through transitions like perimenopause or losing a parent or like any of those big transition points. Um, yep. But your story in the book about the gardening analogy was such a good one because it made me realize that gardening, pulling out a plant, is much simpler than what you're talking about with an abortion clinic because no one says, no, that's not true. There are some people, but very small amount of people will say that plant has feelings, you've done something wrong, which causes harm to another living thing that has feelings, right? Mm-hmm. It's only just because all of us have different meanings and stories about what it is to be either alive or a human or, you know, all of the kind of definitions of when life starts, et cetera, particularly the Aristotle one, um, that it just makes it so much more charged and complicated because mm-hmm. there's so much more attachment to, yeah. and But yeah, really when it. you come down to it, it is a stewardship is a really good word. I so it's love hard. language. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to make. No one's saying these decisions are easy. No. No. I think that that's the other thing that sometimes when you do hear a very pro-life kind of um, you know, an extreme pro-life person, it's often either explicitly said or implied that women who choose to have abortions do it with no thought and like, you know, I'm just, you know, it, like. Some and, do. Yeah, and some do. <laughs> some do. Say, some do. And a lot but It's not don't. really for us to. No, right? judge whether that's right or wrong, This, which is what I was going to say. It's like. Exactly. It's not actually yeah. up to you to say whether that's right or wrong because it's not your body. It's, it's tough. Not your that choice. was my naivety too. I was yeah. naive about that. I thought, oh, everybody's coming to this with such like a, a, you know, having thought it through and like pondered and really, you know, no, some people are like, oh, damn. There's this new term I never heard. I heard from a young uh, woman yeah. from South Africa of being a fetus deleter. Have you heard that one? Anna's going to be a fetus deleter. You're adding to my language, my vocabulary. <laughs> I know it was new deleter. for me. She even put that on her, you know, thing. She said, yeah. I had to explain to this 59-year-old woman what a fetus deleter was. So there, and maybe that is just being cavalier. Maybe that is that, you know, tough kid veneer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, I'm not going to think about this very mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really got under the surface, maybe, maybe there was more yeah. to it. Yeah. But sometimes I'm, I'm, from what I saw, I was pretty surprised. You know, I did have the the girl, you know, who I wrote pretty specifically about, you mm-hmm. know, where I was like, oh, okay. You just didn't like the way your dress was laying, huh? This, this, um, that was the one that really, yeah. really kind of was like, whoa. I think, was it, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same one, but it was a lady who was going to get married in a and month. And pregnant immediately, but she just didn't. Ugh, the dress yeah, so it was inconvenient to be six weeks pregnant at the so wedding. So there was there's that judgment in ourselves, like oh, yeah, exactly. the assumption. It was mm. judgment because mm-hmm. definitely I, mm. you know, I have trouble with that persona, mm. you know, uh, you know, and I talked about her being Kim Kardashian's BFF and yes, yes, you know, yes, that, yes. And so I have my biases around that for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, we don't have, we can't really go there. We can't really, and we do. So everybody has judgment. We're all judgy. Yeah, yeah of course. Of course. And <laughs> but that was my naivety as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, no. The, the older I get, the more I understand how bloody judgmental and biased I am. Like, I just go, oh, my God, there's another thing that I just assume that's actually up for negotiation or challenge. Anywho, <laughs> um, can you please tell everybody where they can find your website and a copy of your book? Because I know yes. that lots of people are going to want to grab a copy. Yes. Oh, that would be lovely. Um, and also, I'm getting ready to trans, uh, put it out in Spanish translation Ooh. just before I forget. Uh, because cool. of what's going on in Latin America, they are legalizing, countries are legalizing abortion. Um, really? Argentina. Argentina's yeah. had a huge, they call it the green wave. It's been a, a very energizing and crazy. They overturned the anti-abortion laws there. It, they're following suit in several other uh, Latin American countries. There it's a very go. exciting time there. Um, so I I really wanted the book to be um, yes, in Spanish available. as well. Yeah, cool. Um, so my website is um, com. Super easy. Yes. And the book is available on Amazon. Um, we have Barnes & Noble. I have it on a variety of platforms, but I think everybody knows Amazon. Amazon's, yeah. I did an, a regular book, an ebook, and I also did an audio book that I self narrated. Oh, cool. So I know, because I know a lot of people love audiobooks, they'd much rather multitask. Yeah. So I had a lot of fun um, yeah. recording that. Um, turns out I do have a background in um, theater. When, I was going to say, young. you have got a bit of a vibe about yeah. you being a bit and, of a And, you know, I was a lecturer. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you of know, course. being a lecturer and having some theater experience, who knew down the line that that, who? on earth would have imagined that, you know, my nursing career and, you know, some of those things would actually come into being. So um, it is available as an audio book as well. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I really encourage everyone. Uh, I just want to reiterate, when Patrice sent me a copy of the book pre-interview, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm getting myself in for. And I did have that sense of trepidation, but it was actually a really good, lighthearted, slash heartbreaking slash viewpoint challenging book and I feel expanded um for having read it. So thank you because yeah oh. it's been very, very, very personally useful and just yeah made me aware of a whole other thing of stereotypes that were wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which I love because I love status yeah. quo challenging. So thank you for challenging mine. Well <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy to connect. We did try and do this a few times, but anyway, <laughs> we've got it I now. <laughs> I know, I know. We finally got together. I'm so excited. <laughs> I have to say, I um I haven't recorded podcasts for probably six weeks now. And it's we are two days away from spring. And I always feel this beautiful start energy, like that freshness. And I'm like, oh podcast day <laughs> so yeah we're I can't the same help here because we're flipping to fall yeah, to autumn cool. and the kids are going back to school and the leaves are changing yes. so it is that change time of yeah, year transition time are. definitely yeah yeah love it it's been a joy thank you so it much really <laughs> thanks so much for listening into today's episode if you love the show, as I hope you do, please take the time to subscribe on your favorite pod listening platform and rate and review. And for bonus points, if you have a friend or someone who popped to mind as you were listening to this episode, why not hit the share link wherever you're listening and send them a little love bomb. 
like, listen to this. Did you know this is normal? (laughs) I really, really, really would love to get these beautiful stories into the hearts and ears and minds of so many more midlife mavens and your help spreading the love is truly, truly appreciated. Thank you so much. I'm Kylie Patchett, your host, and have a spectacular day. Thank you.